I hope you have your Bible with you. I hope you have your notebook and your pens. For we're going to do a Bible study tonight. I was mentioning this morning that um, you know some people are putting on music videos that is them, them singing the gospel, and that's fine and that's good. And some are doing short little videos of uh, encouragement and little thoughts uh, uh, as well, and, and that's good too. There's nothing wrong with that. I just thought we'd do something different then, instead of uh, us preaching a, a gospel message where it's just playing gospel tonight, we'll do a Bible study. And people would ask, you know, what does someone like me, what do I think of, of uh, all of the things that are happening and what do I think of when trouble time comes or how do I get through uh, times of distress or anxiety? And people have asked me, am I afraid? Now let me say, no one wants to get sick. And death is an enemy. And so everyone knows there's an, uh, something there that we will pass through that veil should Jesus tarry. But I'm not afraid of that. Other people are afraid of leaving their family behind if anything would happen to them. So people ask me different questions like this. And tonight I just want to look at something for you to show you. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ... If you're a child of God, if you're saved, that is, if you've repented of your sins, and if you're washed by faith in the blood of the Lamb, that means you're trusting completely, solely, only, totally and fully on what the Lord Jesus Christ has done at Calvary for your salvation and for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you're a child of God, then you, you and I, we, we, we live in a world with hardships just like everybody else, but we have a hope. A hope within us. What is that hope? And who is that hope? So we want to look at, so what do I do personally when I'm feeling under pressure? Am I afraid of the things that are happening? I'm cautious. I'm careful. And I want to make sure that we, we do things that are right. But I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid because I know I've been saved. I know that I'm born again. I know that I'm a, a Christian, a blood-washed believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean I'm going to be protected from everything. But what it means is that he has me no matter what. No matter what. And maybe someone watching now or maybe later will think, well, I'm not a Christian, I'm not saved, and I'm petrified, or I'm afraid, or I'm worried. You know, well, here's your strength is in Christ alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in, and in his finished work in Calvary is your salvation. And you make uh, your way to the cross, as it were, if, if, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. And how do I know the Holy Spirit's speaking to me? You'll feel the tug. You'll know that what we're saying is true or truth. And, uh, and what we're saying is there's something in it that, uh, that makes you feel I, I must get right with God. That's the Holy Spirit's work. That's not my work. I can't do that. I cannot cause that. And only he can do that. So if you're not saved and you're not right with God, well then, I'd be more worried or I'd be more concerned with where my soul will be in eternity rather than even what is happening today, what is happening tonight. And so we want to look at a Bible study and I want to show you, Christian, that the Word of God, how we are to stand in faith, stand in hope, stand in the joy of the Lord and serve Him with gladness serve him and and dig deep at times because it's hard we're going to show you the fight 
We're going to look at the scripture. It's not just a little thought or not just, well, here's a fanciful saying. And listen, all those things can encourage us. But what do I do? I rest on the word of God. I come here and I look for a feeding from the word of God. That's my strength and my sustenance. This is where I get my health. This is where I get my hope. This is where I get my joy from, the word of God. And it's this written word that I have, that you have, believer in our hands. It's this written word that makes all the difference. Makes all the difference in all sorts of manners of situations that we face. So if you have your Bible with you, just speaking to let people come on, just speaking to uh, try and encourage you, just speaking here just to give you time to get ready. Will you turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 12? The book of Romans chapter 12. And tonight we want to entitle this simple study, uh, Mind Your Head. Mind Your Head, or Better Things to Think About. So mind your head, there's better things to think about. Romans chapter 12, and we're just going to read two verses, and then we'll look at other portions of scripture this evening. Romans 12 and verse 1, Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's instruction for us already. Without even having to unpack this, there's instruction for us all already. Let's bow. Wherever you are, will you bow with me in a word of prayer? Eternal Father, I just thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you for his blood that was shed for the payment of my sin and for my redemption. And I thank you, Father, that you've forgiven me all of my sin, that I'm a new creation, a new creature in Christ Jesus, that all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you've given me your righteousness and I stand right before you even at this moment. And I thank you, Father, that it's none of me and all of you. And I thank you, Lord, that you keep me every day. And Lord, that you keep me even in the weakest of moments. You keep me. Father, I thank you for all who have come to watch and all who will watch maybe later. We ask you, Lord, that you would, Lord, take your word and, and may your word find that lodging place in every heart. May minds be changed from fear, Lord, to faith. May, may hearts be strengthened and encouraged. We pray, O oh God, that your children would be challenged to stand up and stand strong in their faith and to be ready, Lord, to give that explanation of the hope that is within us, Lord, that we may tell people of who we have and what we have. We thank you for your written word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto our path. And we thank you, Lord, tonight that we can look at your word still in freedom and in liberty. So, Lord, while we're afforded this luxury and this pleasure and this privilege, we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would help us to go through thy word and to rightly divide it this evening. Bless all who are sick and all who are ill. And, Lord, would you cover our people, cover our nation. We pray, Lord, you'll cover the NHS staff and workers with the blood of the Lamb. Lord, we pray that you'd keep them safe. And, oh God, that you'd help them. Lord, would you take this old virus that's going around, Lord, in every sickness, 
the Lord, would you take it, Lord, under control, under your control, for thou alone art God, and thou alone art able. Lord, we worship you and we thank you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul here in Romans chapter 12. Notice what he says in verse 2, first of all. Then we'll go back to verse 1. He says, And be not conformed to this word, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice, be not conformed to this word, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here we have conformed, transformed. Conformed and transformed. So mind your head tonight. Mind your head how you think. Mind your head as it were. Mind your thinking. Mind your head what you take in. Mind your head what you listen to. Who you listen to. Mind your head what you read and what you see. Mind your thought life. Mind the pattern of your thoughts. And we're going to have to take our thoughts back again under the captivity of the Word of God. And sometimes even when we're walking our best and walking right before God, as it were, we find that even the Word of God is always something to put the finger on to show us where we must be transformed again by the renewing of our minds. A repentance of the mind, really. It's a repentance from unbelief to belief, from fear to faith. It's a repentance for all of us. We want to look at this in more detail, so mind your head. Mind what you think, mind how you think. Now on many occasions you find that the mind is the battlefield where battles are fought and won. Or battles are fought and lost. Not only that, there are some minds that are just totally sold over and given up a fight. And there are some minds also that just automatically give in and don't put up any fight. So let's transform our minds by the, the word of God. By the word of God. In verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So this first one is really important before we move into verse 2. The, the, to be conformed in the world and to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is in the word of God. Verse 1 will matter all the difference before we move into it. So look at, when we look at fighting and fighting as that were to, to fight the good fight of faith, as Paul would say. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. Listen to what Paul says. If you want to turn to it while you have your Bible, turn to it. And if not, you can listen to it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Paul tells Timothy, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Now we have to look at this because Paul is telling Timothy something. He's saying, fight. And it's not easy, Timothy. This walk with God, this following Christ, it's not easy. There's a fight every day. And the fighting the good fight of faith, and then there's a, a good profession of the faith too. 
And it's before the world of witnesses, before many witnesses. So a good fight, a good profession. Some people have given up the fight and their profession isn't good. A good fight will bring a good profession. Okay, so the word fight here, we want to look at it, we want to dig it out a little. We want to try and fortify the inner man, fortify the inner woman with the word of God. So the word fight here is the word anogizio. And it's a word or anagizomai. And it gives the idea where Paul is speaking here of the Greek games, the ancient Greek games. And it means to contend as an athlete, to contend in the Greek games as an athlete, to contend for a prize, a prize. To give us an example of this word and to strengthen it, we can use two examples. First of all, there were ancient boxers. So just like boxing today, but it would have been a little bit rougher. Um, and the boxers wore gloves that were fur-lined, fur-lined, but they were oxhide on the outside. So there, were, there, there was a comfortableness in the inside of it, something to comfort you in the inside. But outside, it had to be tough. But here's the point about it. It was so inside the gloves, or on the outside of the gloves, pardon me, was lead and, and iron sewn into the gloves. So when they punched, that was really hitting their opponent, not only to knock them out, but to split them open. And so this fight is like, and Paul likens this fight as to these fighters fighting the good fight of faith. Someone's coming at you. Something's coming at you. The devil's coming at you. Situation's coming at you. Sickness is coming at you. Worries and anxieties and frettings and fears and troubles and trials and woes are coming at you. They're coming at you with these uh, oxhide gloves, as it were, with uh, iron and, and lead sewn into them as they hit you. It's to split you open, as it were. It's to make you crumble and to make you fall, to make you faint. Paul's saying, you know, this is a fight like this. This is gruesome at times. It's hard and it's difficult. You know, we hear people all the time. It's a, a, and, you know, and it's always about five ways to have a blessed life and, and so on. This is a fight. I remember one time I was at a, an early morning prayer meeting. I used to go every Friday morning, really early in the morning. Had a, we had a, an hour, an hour and a half prayer. Then we had about a half hour fellowship and everyone went to work. And I remember one time... I was feeling really low and really down, and I was in the, I was in the battle. I was in, I was in the war with it, and I was trying to to, to get myself to to think upon the things of God and to uh, to help myself even just to to press on in God. And after the prayer meeting, I was still even feeling heavy and a bit deflated. And when I walked out, I'll never forget it. I walked out the door to go outside to get into the car, and there was an old man stopped me from the prayer meeting and he says, called me Kenny, he says, Kenny, what's wrong with you? What's bothering you? And you called him Alec, I says, Alec, I, I'm, there's a fight and I'm struggling, I'm struggling, Alec. And I thought he was going to come out with words of wisdom and maybe some big prophetic utterance or whatever. And he says, good. I, I didn't help me any at the time. In fact, I, I wanted to walk away as fast as I could. And before that, he put his hand upon me and I turned and looked at him and he said, Can I remember this? If you're not in the fight, you're not in the faith. 
If you're not in the fight, you're not in the faith. Because you're fighting doesn't mean God doesn't love you. We all have our struggles. We all have our worries and our circumstances. And if you're not in the fight, maybe on a continuous basis, maybe you need to look at where are you in the faith? Are you in the faith? Notice here, this second example of this is a, there was the first one was the boxer. The second one was of, of Greek wrestling at the games. And when they wrestled with each other, it was strenuous. It was tearing. They, they, they were sweating profusely uh, and they wrestled and one would have got down on top of the other and as they wrestled around the, the one who then would give up the one who was winning would put the thumbs into the eyes and gouge out the eyes gouge out the other wrestler's eyes so when Paul is talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and 12 fight the good fight of faith lay hold on eternal life Notice what he's saying here. He's saying, understand about these dames. Just as they fight and just as they struggle, you have to do the same. Christian, don't give up. Don't give in. Never give up. Keep going on. Listen, you may have failed. You may have said, you know what, I've let the Lord down. We all let the Lord down. Every one of us. And you may have failed and you may have fainted after the fall, as it were. Get back up again. God's grace will abound over your sin. Get to the cross again. Take it to your Father and repent of it and, and renew your mind and move on in God. There's more blessing in Him than there is with many people. There's more grace with Him than there is in all of us. Bring it under the blood and move on with God. Notice here, when Paul tells us to fight the good fight of faith as it's written to Timothy, we can now get the idea from the boxer and from the wrestler. We can get some more of an appreciation of the contest they had for our contest. And so in the, the word that he sent to Timothy, to you and I, we get it more in a context of what Paul is saying here. It's not just a little, well, you know, let's just have a little struggle. Fight the good fight of faith, he's saying. Come on, fight on, Christian. Fight on. Don't let fear turn you down. Don't let disillusionment turn you away. Don't let discouragement turn you off. It's all about Christ and Christ alone. So Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. You notice, the idea here is there's one boxing tournament and they maybe not fight for another till the next time, whenever that would be. Wrestling the same. But what Paul is saying to Timothy here, and, and the idea that he's saying it in, in the context of the original text that it's written in, it means that it gives the idea of a contest of continuous action. So it's as though you're, there's a contest all the time. There's a contest all the time. It's not the contest for the believer's soul. That was won by the Lord Jesus Christ. That was paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. He crushed the serpent's head when he was in Calvary and he cried it as finished and shed his blood. He, he crushed the head of the serpent. But in our life and in our walk we have a, a threefold enemy really. The world, the flesh and the devil. The world, that's where all these things come from. All the, the, the things that we're watching, that we're seeing, all the troubles and the woes. 
That's where the temptations come from. And the old devil comes and likes to ply your mind with it and to ply your heart with it to cause you to worry. You know, so you have the world in the flesh, the devil. And if the world, all the world got saved right now, and if the devil dropped dead, you've still got an enemy. And that enemy is the flesh. The enemy is yourself. Is yourself. Sometimes we can be our own worst critic, our own worst enemy. And sometimes we, we realize God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Listen, if you've truly, honestly, wholeheartedly repented at the cross, if you've truly, fully repented and come under the, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. Now you need to forgive yourself. You need to renew your mind from the thinking of unbelief. Renew your mind from the thinking of fear, of worry, of anxiety, and bring it in captivity to the Word of God. We should be striving to have the mind of Christ. Paul says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. Now the idea here, I have to make this clear. It means to seize upon or to take possession of. To seize upon or to take possession of. Paul is not saying to Timothy, you must lay hold of, of eternal life for you to be saved, Timothy. He's not saying that. We're saved by grace through faith and it's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. So to lay hold or to take possession of or to seize upon eternal life, what he's saying in this, not for your salvation, but all but Timothy, you're already saved, it means. You already possess eternal life, Timothy. Believer, you're already saved. You already possess eternal life. It's a free gift from God. What Paul means by lay hold on eternal life here is not for salvation. But Paul wanted Timothy to experience more of what that salvation brought and what the eternal life experience really is in its fullness in this life now. Right now. Many believers don't know that. Many believers uh, are afraid every day. Many believers don't walk in victory. Many believers don't batten through and claim the promises of God. And you know, the Lord Jesus Christ actually said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, that the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life. They might have it more abundantly. We have eternal life, believer, but the life is now to live in him. Walk in him. Be in him. To live in him. Paul's saying lay hold of this. I'm talking to someone. You've no assurance of your salvation. And you know you've been to the cross. And you believe that you were saved. But there's something inside. Still holds you back. Lay hold on this. You see it doesn't, uh, it doesn't hinge on who you are. It doesn't hinge on what you've done. You're not the central fixed focal point of salvation. Christ is. It's what he has done. And who he is, it's on him. It's his blood. What he says in his word is what matters to us. And so when these times come, what do I do? I go to the word. I go to the word. 
there's a continuous fight, battles, and a warfare raging, and yet the war's already won. We're traveling from A to B, and he is with us the whole way through it. But if you're saved, you're Christ, so mind your head. Mind your head. Lay hold in eternal life, we're on to thou art called. I'm bringing you somewhere in Romans 12. Lay hold in eternal life where thou art also called. Are you saved? You might say yes then. If you say yes, then you've been called. Because you can't be saved unless he calls you. So you've been called. Lay hold on this life. You're going through a fight. Lay hold on it. I'm saved. I'm a child of God. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm glory bound. I belong to the king. Lay hold on this. Claim his promises. They're for you, friend. They're for you, brothers and sisters. Notice, lay hold in eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called. If you're saved, you've been called. And if you're saved, then you are the called. The called. You know, Romans 8 and 28, Paul tells us that in all things God works together for the good. Listen, to those who are the called, according to his purpose. The called, according to his purpose. And so, because we're the called, called by the Spirit of God, called through the Word and the Spirit to Calvary, called to the cross, called to the fountain of blood, called to Christ. And so because you're his, you're the called. Like Abraham, Father Abraham was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees. You're called out of the world unto Christ. And notice also, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul says, Of the Lord Jesus who hath saved us. Notice, he saved us. Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling. Not according to our works. The word according is kata, means a dominance. Gives the idea of a pressing down. Not with a, the dominance of here's my works. But he called us. He saved us. Not according to our works. But according to his own purpose. With the dominance of... Of the purpose of God. With the dominance of the purpose of redemption of Yahweh our Father. With the dominance of grace. Grace found us. Undeserving. Unmerited favour came. Undeserving sinners. And it was the dominance of that that called us to Christ. We didn't deserve him. But yet he died for us. He called us. That we might become his. But according to his own purpose and grace. Notice which he hath given us. He called us with purpose and grace. Now he's given us salvation. Purpose. Grace is ours. You have a purpose. You have a purpose for your calling. You have a purpose for your salvation. You have a purpose for your living. You have a purpose for service. Which was given us in Christ Jesus. When? Before the world began. 
God had a purpose for you before you were even born. God had a plan for you before you were even thought of. In fact, God had a saviour for you before Adam sinned, fell and died in the garden. Before there was a sinner in Adam, there was a saviour in heaven. And there you find, friend, there you find, brother, your strength. I am Christ's. The Father gave you, looked right down through time, creation, time and eternity, right down through it all, passed the cross to you. So notice here, mind your head. How are you thinking? Doubtings, fears, worries. Mind your head. What you think and how you think. The world will tear you down. The news will depress you. Get the word of God and read it. And read it. Notice, when I say mind your head, what you think and how you think, I'm not speaking about here the, the whole uh, New Age stuff of the power of positive thinking. Please don't get me wrong. The power of positive thinking will get you nowhere. You, you'll not accomplish anything with that. Uh, it's, not, it's not about the positive life coaching that I'm doing here. It's about the word of God. What does the word say for you? For me? And so it's about being transformed by the renewing of your mind according to this book. According to the word. God's word might speak to you something hard. God's word might speak to you something you don't want to know. Something you don't want to hear. God's word might challenge you and convict you. God's word might take you and turn you inside out. And God's word might wrestle with you until you give in and give over and give up that which God has placed his finger on. You can't live wrong and die right. And you can't expect to stand before God and, and thinking, well, I've just lived uh, uh, the life of a devil. If you love Christ, if you love Christ, you'll walk with him. If you are Christ, you'll serve him. But notice this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Paul tells us. The word of God may touch your heart and strengthen you. And it may do all those other things, challenge you, convict you. But the word of God will never lie to you. And the word of God will never fail you. So mind your head according to the word. Mind your heart. There's better things to think about. I love what an old Puritan called William Gurnall once said. Listen to us. He says, the Christian is bred by the word. And he must be fed by it. The Christian is bred. You're birthed from incorruptible seed of the word of God. Notice the Christian is bred by the word. And you must be fed by it. And if you're not being fed by the word of God... You're going to starve just like your natural body would starve. You'll come into malnutrition in the spirit just the way you would come into malnutrition in your body. And you'll get sick as it were in the spirit in the sense that you'll grow weak in the way maybe many people are because they don't read the word of God. So mind your head. John Flavel once wrote, The scriptures teach us the best way of living, the noblest way of suffering and the most comfortable way of dying. So from life to death, it's the scriptures, it's the word of God. Here is the testimony. 
So Romans 12 and 1, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So after we've said that about the fighting, you have to die to self. This is difficult. How do you get through it, Ken? How do you get through when, when people abuse you? How do you get through when people say things about you, true or untrue? Well, how do I get through it? I get through it by going to the Word of God. I get through it by dying to self. I'm not worth any of this. I'm not worth any of this Word. I'm not worth the salvation. I'm not worth the blood. I'm not worth God's Son dying for me. I'm not worth any of it. But for some reason, He chose me. He called me. Christ died for me. Shed His blood for me. The Spirit called me. And I'm His. I'm his. So here, the, the notice what he says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What Paul is referring to when he says, I beseech you, therefore. Now, the word therefore, it really, it throws back the whole way to Romans chapter 1. Now, you're Romans chapter 12 now. Goes the whole way back to Romans chapter 1. And Paul, after bringing us the whole way through 11 chapters of, of what we have as, uh, uh, divided into chapters. Here Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I beseech you, I beg of you, therefore, because of what's been said from chapter 1. So from chapter 1 to chapter 8, here's the mercies of God which Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. I hope you're with me. Here's the mercies of God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He said, I beg you because of what's went before. He speaks of condemnation. That we're under condemnation outside of Christ. That every man and every woman is under the condemnation of breaking the law of God. Transgressing God's law. That's, sin is the transgression of the law. And that's what we're all guilty of. We all, even in our very nature, have Adam's genes, Adam's germs. We are Adam's race from Adam's descent. And so his fall was our fall, his sin is our sin, and his death became our death. But in Christ, he's kept the law we couldn't keep. He's lived the life we couldn't live. And in Christ, we don't have death, we have life. And condemnation is we're all under condemnation. Jesus said in John chapter 3, and this is the condemnation. He talks about men and women under condemnation. That life has come, light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And so uh, the Lord Jesus is saying that men who reject him are still under condemnation. So Paul says the mercies of God brings us from condemnation right through these eight chapters to glorification. Condemnation to glorification. There's condemnation he speaks of, and he speaks of justification. Justification means, basically in a nutshell, under the blood of Jesus, in Christ Jesus, he takes the penalty of our sin, we take his righteousness. We are justified before God, we're justified before the Father. So we are just as if we had never sinned. The Father declares me the man I spoke of earlier, the, 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 the Lord, the Father declares me righteous. Righteous in his sight. 
justified by what Christ has done. So Paul goes glorification, then he speaks in these chapters of justification, then sanctification is that setting apart. The blood marks me different than everyone else. The spirit seals me different than the rest of the world, the unregenerate and the, those who are not redeemed. It marked Israel out different than all of the nations of the world. This is the difference here. This is the blood of Christ, the power of the blood. So we're under condemnation, justification, sanctification. We're set aside for his use. And the last is glorification when Christ returns, when our bodies will be changed and fashioned to be like unto his own glorious body. When our bodies will, will be no longer the, the rotten bodies that we have of sin, but rather the glorified bodies, pardon me, of like on the, the Lord Jesus Christ's body. So here Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, looking back at condemnation, justification, sanctification, glorification. After what I've told you, brethren, he even talks about chapters 9 to 11, he speaks of the covenants he, that God made with Abraham and with David, and how they're being... Uh, Played out and fulfilled. Even in through us today. All still being played out. All being formed. Until the coming of Christ. The culmination of all things. So that's from chapters 9 and up to 11. And then in chapter 12 he says. I beseech you. I beg you because of all of this. From Romans 1 right through to 11. He says I beseech you therefore brethren. By the mercies of God. That's what we've talked about. That you present your bodies. A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. And notice here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. Listen to what Paul says. Moreover, whom he did predestinate. Predestinated us. Them he also called. There's that word again. And whom he called them. The called ones. He also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. And so Paul is saying, because of this, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Notice, in the view of the fact that we are justified and righteous in the sight or before uh, our Father in heaven, we are under the obligation to live a righteous life. We're under obligation to live a righteous life. Notice a living sacrifice. This comes from the idea of the Levitical priesthood when they brought the sacrifices to the altar and the blood was shed and that animal died. And then it actually goes further to it was a burnt offering and a burnt sacrifice. And Paul's referring to that saying that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. Our bodies are not only to be a living sacrifice, but the idea here is that it means our bodies are to be wholly burned up by the fire of the Holy Spirit. In other words, our, our bodies means our whole man, our whole woman, spirit, soul, body, our whole person is to be burned up by the fire of the Holy Spirit. So here's a question for you. Would you present your body, would you present yourself, for the service of Christ. 
Will you present yourself for the worship of Christ? Will you present yourself to be sacrificed daily? Notice, first of all, there's a continual dying. This is it. Then there's a continual service. And Paul says there's a continual fight. We're to die to self that Christ might live and be glorified in us. Paul says, which is your reasonable service? Not too much to ask because you're not your own. You're bought with the price, even with the precious blood of Christ. I was thinking about this and I wrote, while some are destined for a martyr's death, think of the early church. We think of the Protestant reformers. We think of those who are being martyred, even this day. While some are destined for a martyr's death, some are destined for a martyr's life, that is a living death, a dying to self, that Christ might live in us. Notice Romans 12 and 2, we'll look at this and that's our study finished tonight. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, so mind your head. Better things are to be thought of and to think about. And be not conformed to this word. This is important. So after saying all of that, remember we started with Romans 12 and 2. Now we go into Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 again. Paul says, be not conformed to this word. The word here for conformed is a big long word. Sinsatmatizo. It means to conform one's self, to conform one's mind, and to conform one's character to that of another's. To pattern oneself after someone or something. That's what the world does. You see, it, it, it conforms us. It starts to train the mind. It starts to train the mind to think like the world. It starts to train the mind that, that you and I would feed if we feed on those things continually, we start to think like them. It programs us. We're programmed from our little children, conformed to the atheism of evolution. and We're conformed to the, 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 the doctrines and the, the teachings of humanism and all of those things, rather than the Word of God. But we're going to look at this in a moment. So it's all outward coming toward us. That's what it means. The form that's with us, con with form, with or for us or toward us. Notice to conform the oneself oneself to a pattern of another's. It means to assume an outward expression that does not come from within. Now listen, Christian, you're assuming an outward expression because you're conforming to that thought. You're conforming to that anxiety. You're conforming to that fear. You're conforming to that worry. Or you're conforming to that sin. Whatever it may be. And what it is, is it's not what's really inside the believer. Because inside the believer is Christ. So it's to assume an outward expression that does not come from within. Now listen to Kenneth Woost. And Kenneth Woost's uh, Greek New Testament word studies. And I thought... This was fantastic what he had written on this. I'll quote him. Paul exhorts the saints. Stop 
assuming an outward expression which is patterned after this world. An expression which does not come from, nor is it representative of what you are in your inner being as a regenerated child of God. A regenerated child of God should not be patterned by the fears and the worries and the things that we see outside, the news bulletins and the social media. No, no, they're all outside. We, we are not patterned by them, but they start to inf infiltrate our hearts and, you must, and our minds. You must mind your head. You must think differently. That is not of God. That's not what your father has you to dwell on, to think on, to muse on, to ponder over, to meditate in. Notice this. What Paul is saying is, don't take on the mannerisms. Don't take on the speech. Don't take on the expressions, the styles. And do not take on the habits of this world's system. Wow. There's a lot in that now after we think of the mercies of God, what he's done for us. There's a lot in that where God says, now I want you to be as a sacrificial offering, but it's a continual offering. There's a continual fight. The word word here is the word, word I own. A lot of times it's cosmos, but here's the word I own. And it means all that floating mass of thoughts Opinions, hopes and speculations, impulses and aims at any time currently happening in this world. Be not conformed to all of that. Their thinking, their opinions, the impulses, the desires, the worldly hopes, their aspirations, their sayings. They can't conform to it. You can't conform to the fearing, and the worries, the distress that the world brings to us. The Germans, the German language has a, a wonderful, simple, straight to the point meaning of this. Be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to the Zeitgeist. To the Zeitgeist. And it simply means to the spirit of this age. To the spirit of this age. Someone once wrote, this is a costume, a masquerade costume the believer sometimes puts on and hides the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, don't let the world clothe you. Throw it off. And let people see the hope that is in you. The beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is my last point and I'm closing. It was once said that the world may say to the saint. That the world may say to the saint. The modernism of your appearance nullifies the fundamentalism of your doctrine. I'm going to say it again. The modernism, modernism of your appearance nullifies the fundamentalism of your doctrine. 
What's the fundamentalism of your doctrine? We've been speaking about it. We've been telling you about it. Christ died for us. He's bought us. We're his. We're called. We're elect. We're predestined. That's the fundamentalism of our doctrine. That the Son of God shed his blood for us. That he rose again the third day. That the Spirit lives in us. The fundamentalism of our doctrine is hidden when we allow the world to affect us. When we allow the world to fear us. When we allow the things of the world, even the death that's in the world and in our mortal members. Brothers and sisters, we are Christ's. We are saved. We are blood bought. We are blood washed. We are redeemed. We are his. We're his. It puts a clothing like a masquerading costume on us. And the world could say, the modernism of your appearance nullifies the fundamentalism of your doctrine. Even the modernism that's coming into the church world, even the modernism of the things that's happening, the entertainment to, 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 to tickle the, the, the flesh, the soft preaching to, to give you itching ears, you know, the, the, the easy stuff that doesn't teach the word but just brings a fanciful thought and, and a five ways to be blessed sort of, of a thing. All of that, and all on the on the believers, all it really does is it clothes you, and the modernism of your appearance nullifies the fundamentalism of your doctrine. Romans twelve and two. And be not conformed to this word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's not about your will or my will. It's about his will. It's not about what you will in your life. It's not about what you will for your life. And it's certainly not about your body. That's what we hear today. My body, my life, my body, my will. And they take children to the abortion clinics. Christians are going, it's my life, it's my body. I live the way I want. Sure, God forgives me. After all he's done for us. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word renewing here is the word mata for, for fajo. Mata mor fajo. It means an outward expression of that which is inside. An outward expression of that which is inside. Here's the difference. Confirmation. To conform. It's coming from the outside to you, not reflecting him inside you. Outside to you, not reflecting him inside. And here we're told not to be conformed, but to be transformed. Transformation is what's inside affecting what's outside. Showing what's outside. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ living in you. Holy Spirit in you, showing outside. I want to show you a little example of this as we close here. Uh, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 2. Or pardon me, 17 and verse 2. The Lord Jesus takes with him Peter, James and John and he goes up the mountain. It's called the mountain of transfiguration. And it says in Matthew 17 and verse 2. You can also read it in Mark 9 and verse 2. It says, and Jesus was transfigured. 
before them. His face shone brighter than the sun. His clothes were glistering. And we know the story, I think. And here, the word transfigured is the exact same word as be ye transformed. What was in Christ showed out on the mountain. The, the, the glory, the deity, the, the beauty, the majesty. And the, the disciples around him, they couldn't, they couldn't believe their eyes what they were seeing. What was in him came out. It's the same word here. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's in there? Is it full of nonsense and garbage and bitterness and anger? Is in there full of fear and, and dread uh, and anxiety? What, what is in here? Is it what you've fed on? Because what you eat is what you are. It's the same in the spirit. Eat the word. Feed on the word. Feast on the word. What's in there will come out. In Acts chapter 2, the, the, the ecclesia or the church as we know it was formed. Formed. Now it's a church in the wilderness. But as we know it, in the new covenant. Acts chapter 2. The church was formed. And then in the dark ages. Uh, the time of the uh, Roman Catholic dominance in the church. It became deformed. Martin Luther wrote his 95 theses and so on. And then we had the reformers came. And they were reformed. So that's the thesis. So it was formed. Deformed. Reformed. People say we need another reformation. I understand what you mean. And maybe I've even said it once myself. But I don't think that's what we need. The church is being conformed now. Be not conformed to this word. The church is being conformed. It was formed. Deformed. Reformed. Now it's conformed. It's being conformed back to ecumenism. It's being conformed back to everything that God has brought us out of. Being conformed to the worldliness, conformed to all of those things. But I don't think it's even reformation that we need. We've got the word from the reformation. We've got the spirit of God at, at Pentecost. We have all everything we need. So what is it we need? Formed, deformed, reformed, conformed. It must be transformed. And be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mind your head, what you're thinking, what you take in, what you believe, what you hear. This is the only truth, the absolute truth, the word of God. So here's a scripture. I'm not even going to uh, think about it or, or, or expound it. I'm just going to read it. And I want you to read it whenever we're finished or whenever uh, trials and testings come to you. It's found in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Listen to what Paul says. Finally, brethren, this is my finally. Whatsoever things are true, that's the word of God. Whatsoever things are honest, that's the word of God. Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are a good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Renew your mind. Have the mind of Christ. So all those things are found. In the word of God. So mind your head. Better things to think about. 
I trust that this Bible study has been a help. I trust it's been a blessing. It's different than what we're always used to. I miss my CET family, our members and our friends and our visitors. I miss them dearly. I really do. I miss our church assembly together. I miss us worshipping together, praising the Lord together. I miss the fellowship together. But this will pass and we'll be there in the Lord's will. She Christ, Harry, we'll be there together in the Lord's will. Hopefully sooner rather than later. But in the meantime, mind your head. Mind your head. There's better things to think about. And God bless you. For Jesus' sake. Amen.